This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. In a world surrounded by negativity, where it doesn't seem like you can get ahead. But fear not, help is on the way. I know you're tired. I know you're hurting. I wish I could say something that was classy and inspirational. You can do it! But it just wouldn't be our style. Welcome to Project Reclamation, where you rebuild, re-energize, and reclaim your life. So come join us at Project Reclamation. Regular people trying to make our lives better, encouraging you to come along and do the same. Go ahead and listen to us every week on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Come and join the project, because the most important project you'll ever work on is you. Hey guys, and welcome to episode four of the Midweek Specials, or as I like to call it, Midweek Episode 4. (laughs) <laughs> it's the only thing you can call it <laughs> i'm jerry of course and i'm tracy of course of course tonight we've got obviously a little uh short story for you and then the interview we have tonight or i always tell them interviews they're not really interviews because they they come on and tell us stories right but in tonight we have annie weebs and brendan shea oh great from serial spirits podcast love them and you know you guys She's been on a, a short before, and if you guys were in the Mothman show that we did this past year, she actually did some some stuff up there in the live show. Yep, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so we'll get to that a little bit later, but she has some really cool paranormal stories to tell, because they're both paranormal investigators, and they do a podcast, so it works out well. Mm-hmm. Okay, our story tonight is going to take place in a small town in West Virginia. Now, this small town has three names. Smithfield, Middleway, and Wizard Clip. Why does it have three names? I don't know. Don't you think it's a little weird? Well, I know why it's got the third name. Yeah. And that's the nature of our story. Okay. Because the story is called The Demon of Wizard Clip. Okay. Sounds interesting. And so... We're going to go back to the very early 1800s. And right in this town, there was a, a very popular wagon route that went straight through this town. If you went from Baltimore to either southwest Virginia or Kentucky or Tennessee, you went straight through here. Mm-hmm. That was the popular route. The Livingstones, husband and wife, actually owned a farm and right here in this little area. They were liked by all their neighbors. They were good people mm-hmm. by all accounts. One night they were going to bed. It was calm night, nothing really major going on. They're getting ready to cuddle up under the blankets and all that stuff. And they're in bed, and they hear basically a little noise on the porch and then a hard knock. Well, obviously, Mr. Livingstone gets up. He opens the door, and there's a gentleman there he's never seen before. And he's like, hey... I hope you can see it in your heart to put me up for the night. It looks like it's getting ready to rain Mm -hmm. and my wagon, one of the wheels broke on it and there's no way I can do anything in the morning. Till the morning. Right. Mm -hmm. Apparently Mr. Livingstone's wife was kind of the wear the pants in the family type. Oh yeah. And she's listening to this and Mr. Livingstone's like, you know what? Yeah, we can do that. We'll put you up. Mm Mm-hmm. She doesn't like it at all. Yeah. She's kind of ticked about it. Well, she's probably nervous. 
Now, back then, though, this is the kind of thing people did. I mean, when, did. it was the 1800s. Not, not like people came in to, to kill you, you know? Oh, yeah. Wow, well, that's true. So, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's happy, you know, he's doing it. She's unhappy with it. But so she gets up out of bed and she pretty much ungraciously just shows the guy to his room. Here you go. Here's your room. Good night. And they go to bed. They get awakened in the middle of the night by these very loud moans and groans. They like get up. In the house? Yeah, in the house. Oh, okay. They get up. They go to the room. This guy is in some kind of intense pain. I mean, he's like writhing in pain. He's moaning. He's groaning. And, and he flat tells him, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to make it to the morning. I'm Catholic. I've not always been a good Catholic, but I would really like a priest to administer my last rites. Mm-hmm. And so it's the, Catholic. Yes. What not I Catholic. You drew, you like drew it out for like a minute. <laughs> Catholic. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> he was Roman. He, uh, <laughs> so he's Catholic and he says, Hey, I'd really like for you to find me a priest. Well, Mr. Livingstone's like, there's not a lot of Catholics around here. And there, I don't know of any priest short of going to Maryland. And he says, you know, we got a couple of Catholics live around us, the McSherry's and, uh, uh Manginas. They're Catholics. They may know where we can find one. Well, the, the wife steps in. She's like, look, there's not a priest around here. And I'd be damned if you're going to get up in the middle of the night in a rainstorm and go around to the neighbors and try to find a priest. What is wrong with her? You'll be fine. That's what she basically you'll You'll be fine. So they go back to bed. The next day they wake up. They walk into the, na- uh, the, the man's room. He's dead. Aww. Well, they got to come up with some kind of a story now about why they got a dead guy in their place. So they just tell everybody, look, he came. He spent the night, and he passed away during sleep. They're not going to mention anything about how he wanted a priest and mm-hmm. all this. So the very next day, they have a little, small little funeral for the guy, and then they bury him. They come Where? home. Huh? Where do they bury him, I wonder? In the cemetery. Oh, okay. Yeah. The old um, um, Smithfield Cemetery. Oh. They come home. They're gathered around a fire. It's just them two. The strangest thing happens. These fire logs started like standing up on their own, and then they were popping out of the fireplace. What? Onto like the ground of the the cabin and stuff. So they eventually grabbed like all these things. They get all these things and they get them back in the fireplace, and they kept coming out. And they, this went on all night long. Eventually, it's bedtime. I guess they've solved that problem. Mister Livingstone got zero sleep. He just was, I guess everything was on his mind. Well, yeah, I'm sure. He gets up the next morning and he starts walking out towards the main road. I mean, he's like, I guess just like a zombie at this point, just walking around. I can barely see anything, but he's stumbling out towards the road. You've got to have some kind of exercise or just get out of the house for a little bit. Well, he gets out there and there's this guy on a wagon yelling and cursing at him. Why would you put a rope across the road on one of the main traveling roads to get across this part of the country. Well, Mr. Livingstone looks out. He sees no rope. He has no clue what this guy's talking about. Yeah. So this guy pulls out a knife, and he gets out of the thing, and Mr. Livingstone thinks, well, he's coming for me. But he's not. He went out towards this rope that nobody could see, and he reaches out his hand, and he, like, makes a big slice at it. Mm-hmm. Of course, it goes through a lot easier than the guy thought there would be because there was no rope. And then, but... Gets back in, and he goes. Well, then there's another guy pulls right up behind him. Same thing. Why, why, why is there a rope up here? And eventually, this people kept coming. And Mr. Livingstone's like, look, just go through. Trust me, there's no rope. Just drive through. And that's what people start doing. But this went on for weeks. Oh, my gosh. Did anybody else say that or just him? No, it was just, nobody was seeing it but the drivers of the, of the wagons. Mm-hmm. But nobody else could see it. And but everybody else was seeing the exact same thing, so it was so crazy. So all of his neighbors started thinking the same thing. This is the work of a demon. Thus the demon of this place. So the Livingstones now discover a new form of torment. At their house, the sound of shears clipping. Clip 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 clip. All around the house. 
and that wasn't enough, all of their clothes and their table linings had cuts in them, <gasps> crescent-shaped cuts. Even visitors who came to the house, when they would leave, would find that even handkerchiefs that they had folded up in their pockets would have these crescent cuts in them. And everybody could hear this clipping. This wasn't just them. There was one occasion where a lady came to visit. And when she came, she was admiring the beautiful flock of ducks that the that the uh, Livingstones had on their lake. Mm-hmm. And as they were talking about it, her and Mrs. Livingstone, you could hear the clip. And ducks' heads just started <gasps> falling to oh, the ground. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. He cut their duck's head off? Heads. Several ducks. <gasps> oh, poor duckies. So then, word started spreading about you know, this this curse and a demon. So a bunch of the young men in the neighborhood decided that it would be a good idea to maybe have a dance there to show how brave they are to the young women in town. And they talked to Livingstones into letting them have a dance there. This one guy came all the way from Winchester. He brought a rifle with him. He was going to be Billy Badass. And apparently while he was out on the dance floor, he heard clip, clip. Then he felt something hit the back of his legs. Something had cut his pants, and his pants fell down. <laughs> and he was so embarrassed, he had to back all the way back from the dance floor up against the wall because all the girls could see his man parts. Oh, he didn't wear no underwear? Well, well I guess it probably cut through the underwear. Probably. His man parts are in the front. Well, if it's, if it's a, anything, a part of him is a man part. Anyways, <laughs> that night... Mr. Livingstone was pretty much at his wit's end. He tried to get some sleep. Oh, I feel bad for him. He has this weird dream. He dreams that he's standing at the bottom of a hill. On top of the hill is a man in flowing black robes, like the wind's blowing Mm -hmm. it and all this stuff. It appears to be a priest. And this priest is doing some type of religious ceremony. There's a voice that whispered, hey, the man on the hill can relieve your family of all this torture. So the next day, he goes to his Catholics friends that we talked about earlier, the mm-hmm. McSherry's and the uh, Minginis, I think was the name. And they say, well, you know what? There's a, there's a priest by the name of Father Cahill. He's going to be coming to preach a mass at a little town called Shepherdstown that's about 10 miles away. So they give him the day. It's a couple of days away. They all go there. And they, they're going to introduce him to this priest. They get there, and and he looks up, and he sees a man in black robes. He knows this is him. He goes up to him. He falls to his knees. He begs for his help. Father Cahill agreed to help, and uh, he goes to the house, comes back with him to the house. He gets down on, on, on his knees. He's got a cross out. He's, he's begging, begging. For God to help in what's going on. Feverishly praying. Then he gets up, he sprinkles holy water all over the entire house. He then asks to go to the cemetery. He said he needs to go to where this man was buried. So they go out to the old burial ground of, of Wizard Clip. And as the priest is, is consecrating the grave, the wind picks up. It starts blowing all through the trees. You can hear it. And it starts blowing his black robes. And it's the same vision that he had in his dream Mm -hmm. a couple of nights before. There was a nearby lake. And they said the water in the lake got real turbulent, even though it had been calm before this. And then just like that, everything just stopped. Hmm. And, And they were so grateful that he was no longer around this creature or entity or whatever you want to call it was no longer around that they gave this priest 34 acres. And if you go look in the town and you go to the uh, courthouse and look in the deed, you can actually see that there is a deed where they deeded Father Cahill 34 acres still to this day. And the area that he was deeded is known today as Priest's Field. Wow. That's really cool. That's our little story for tonight. Yeah. And you know what? Just because that old bitty wouldn't... (laughs) <laughs> Had a bad attitude. I brought all this on. 
Well, and, and I get that, but it also would have been pretty hard to go find a priest at in the well, middle of the night when yeah, there's I mean, no, that's none true. around. So that's so she true. could have been a little more accommodating, but I still don't know that they would have found a priest. Yeah, yeah. But at least the guy would have at least felt that they made an effort instead mm-hmm. of just, oh, well, go to yeah, bed. Yeah, yeah. So. Wow. Good story. I like that one. Me so too. Okay. We're getting ready to, um, I want to tell you about a feature we're going to do later. Not tonight's show, but in future episodes on Wednesdays. Uh, Leslie Fear was on last week, and a lot of people really liked that episode. We've had a lot of people write us. We've had a lot of a lot of you guys bought her book already, oh, which is awesome. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you, guys. And I talked to Leslie. Leslie, of course, is a writer, and she's very funny. And she's talking about wanting to do a podcast of her own. And I think what we're going to do is a little snippet, like a little five-minute thing mm-hmm. on Wednesday nights called... Leslie's, or we're going to call it uh, Fear of the Week. Oh, that's cool. And she's actually going to give us like a little five-minute fact. Oh. It's fear-related, serial killer or paranormal or something. Oh, how fun is that? So it'll be cool. We'll, we'll be able to sit down and record a bunch of those at one time since they're so short, and then we'll spread them out. Yeah, so. you can never have enough facts, for sure. Or enough of Ninja barking. I know. I don't know why he's even barking at. Ninja, uh, the rest of the people would like to hear you bark more. So he always likes to get the people what they want. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a good time as any, I guess, to listen to uh, Annie and Brendan real quick. So take a listen to their uh, interview that we did. Hey, guys. Welcome to, obviously, this episode of the Midweeks. We're doing uh, some awesome uh, paranormal guests and stuff on, doing some interviews. This young lady and gentleman, uh, I'm sure you've already heard on our Halloween episode, plus if you were at the... Mothman show that we did in Point Pleasant here a couple months ago. You got to see uh, Annie Weebs up there telling a story that that she had that was near and dear to our heart, which was involved the Mothman out at the TNT uh, old factory out there. Uh, Annie, Brendan, welcome to the show. Hey, hey. Hey, Jerry. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, it's no problem. I've been wanting to get you guys on so we could talk to you a little more in depth. Um, I know... Like I said, the Halloween episode gave a little taste to you guys as far as uh, what your show is. But you've got a podcast by the name of Serial Spirits, and you're both paranormal investigators and do a bunch of cool stuff. So tell me a little bit about the podcast. So we uh, we had this idea. Well, I had this idea, I don't know, about a year, year and a half ago, and we were doing all this work. Uh, trying to save this one historic building, and we were talking about all these different ideas, like to to start like maybe like a web series or whatever. And I just had this idea: I wanted to take some of the places that I've been that I know crimes have happened at, and have stained this place with some kind of haunting. And I wanted to take these stories, put them together. And so I was like, oh, we're, I'm going to do that. And then it just turned into something different. You know, with, we just started encompassing true crime. And I asked Annie if she wanted to be part of this with me. And she was all about it because we wanted to give people uh, a little bit of a different taste and a take uh, from paranormal investigating uh, side of what investigating true crime could be like and covering some of these crazy stories. So it just opened up a whole can of worms from there. I really didn't even have any idea what it meant to be a podcaster. I didn't really start even listening to podcasts until Brendan and I got together and then it was like instantly hooked and we loved everything that we could listen to about the paranormal, true crime, uh, missing persons cases, and it just developed from there. So, Were really, you instantly hooked because of my charming good looks or because you liked the, the content? It was your charming good looks, 100%, <laughs> and everything else just <laughs> fell into place afterwards. So yeah, I, I was a complete podcasting virgin when we started this. No clue how to do any of this stuff. And so it's been an awesome experience. It's been a huge learning process for me uh, but we enjoy every second of what we do now annie we originally met through uh some mutual friends because we were going to be at cryptid con and then you sent us a message on facebook and said hey i know i'm trying to get some of the cryptid con people on uh, our internet show that we do so you do some stuff with the paranormal warehouse is that correct is it paranormal warehouse i do we have a platform called paranormal warehouse it's on facebook and youtube and so every week i do a live show called weebs live Uh, right now we're airing on tuesdays and we basically talk about the same types of things we talk a lot of paranormal we talk a lot of cryptid we talk true crime and it's an interactive show 
it's live so people can get in the chat room with us and uh, chime in on the story that we're telling or and ask questions. And so Paranormal Warehouse has been an awesome platform for us. Just it's kind of like live podcasting, really so much fun. Yeah, it was fun when we were on there, and that's the first time we've been a part of uh, an internet television show or anything of that nature. But obviously, that's how we met, and we started talking about the Point Pleasant show, and next thing you know, we're meeting at the Point uh, down at the uh, Mothman Festival, and then we're hanging out for a little bit there, and then you're at the show. So, I mean, it's that that little situation has developed into a great relationship between all the three of us. It has. It's like our six degrees of, of uh, separate, our paranormal separation, I guess you could say. <laughs> but we've met some incredible people, you and Tracy being two of them. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great, it's a beautiful thing when you can develop friendships out of your weirdness. And you guys are going to be one of the featured shows at the uh, podcast event that we're doing there in Point Pleasant next year. And this time we're actually doing it during the Mothman Festival. So very cool. Yeah, we are actually super stoked for this because Mothman has been like one of my all time favorite stories ever. Like I'm obsessed with all John Keel's theories. So we started going and actually uh, two years ago was our first Mothman festival. And I had listened to a podcast for years called the Unbelievable Podcast. And the two hosts had gone to this. So it became like a mecca for all these the ho- the fans of the show called Unbelievers to meet up and uh, we all started going to this event and it it's just it's even cooler now that we can be part of you know the what did I say on our show the annals of the Mothman history by and being part of this podcast I said I didn't want to be anywhere near Mothman's anal so I took that <laughs> entirely the <laughs> incorrect way but yes no we're so excited to be part of it. So let's talk about, you know, you guys are paranormal investigators. Let's talk about personal paranormal experiences. Uh, Annie, let's start with you. What kind of experiences that you have that made you eventually want to become an investigator? So I think I've always been the weird kid who was obsessed with ghost stories. And, you know, I was the first one to break out and want to do a seance at a sleepover. And so (laughs) it wasn't until the high school after the passing of my paternal grandfather, that I had my first real paranormal experience. And I I had the most vivid dream that he came to me and gave me a very clear message, something that I, I guess I really needed to hear at the time, because he was the first person that I was ever close with who had passed. And so Uh, Later in the day, after I had this dream, it's one of those that you wake up and it's so vivid and the message was so clear. I had been crying in my sleep and it was almost like I could smell him in the room with me. He had this very distinct smell. He smoked uh, pipe tobacco and I kind of just shoved it to the side. And later in the day, my dad came home and he was uh, he was very kind of melancholy that day. And he said, do you realize what today would have been? And I said, no. And he said it would have been Papa Bill's birthday. And my grandfather was a real character. And if you missed buying him a gift on his birthday or Father's Day or Christmas, he was going to be really upset with you. He wanted he wanted the attention on him. And so it was kind of a funny way of him acknowledging, hey, remember me on this day and, you know, the rest of the message that he wanted me to have. But then it developed from there, I think, with all of my grandparents passing, I had dreams of some sort, Um, you know, it, it almost seemed like some type of message. And it just developed from there. It made me think, what lies beyond this? How are we able to communicate with people who are no longer on the same plane as us? And so over the course of, I guess, about a decade, um, you know, I met up with some local people and started doing paranormal investigating from there. And it's just been a whirlwind. It's been another decade now that we've been full on investigating. And some of the most insane, unbelievable experiences that you can imagine. But it all developed with my uh, my grandfather, who was a. Uh, quite the prankster 
Very cool. What about you, Brendan? Do you have any paranormal experiences on your own that are that got you more fascinated into uh, where you wanted to become an investigator? You know, ever since I was a kid, I had a few things happen to me as a child, and there was just always something there. Like Annie, I was the weird kid, but I was always fascinated by mystery. And I used to love to scare the crap out of myself. And I remember being a kid um, watching the Twilight uh, Zone with my grandma, like the, when they came out with the newer version in the 80s where it was in, the, in color and everything. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting there and just burying my head in her in her chest, like have some, a scary part coming on. And then I would slowly peek you know, to the side looking at it and then bury my head back in there. And she used to cradle me or whatever. And it's just, there was always something there about the supernatural. So when I was old enough to read, I started researching and reading every book that I could get on the Loch Ness Monster, on UFOs, on Bigfoot, and all these things fascinated me. And I told the story uh, one time that, that I had found all these books. I went to a Catholic school, and for some reason, the Catholic school had all these books on the paranormal, which they kind of preached against, don't go ghost hunting, don't do all that stuff. But they (laughs) had all these books in the library, so I was like, oh. So back in the day, for all the younger listeners, you used to have this thing called a card that you they stamped inside the library, and it was in a little pocket in the front of the book or the back of the book. And I swear my name was in that book 50 million times. But the older I got, the more I was like, you know, there's got to be more to this. And it turned to the ghost hunting side, the speaking with the those who have passed on. So I did. I did research. And like everybody else, I started watching the TV shows. And I'm like, I want to do this. And it wasn't until the death of my mother in 2003 when I started, like Annie, I had a couple dreams. And it was like, there's something to this. There's, she's reaching out to me. She's telling me something. I got to check this out. So then I joined a paranormal team and started having all these incredible experiences, got to go to all these incredible places all over the country. And it just became even more intriguing that I was getting evidence now. And the most fascinating thing to me about this whole field, and, it, and people say, you know, oh, you have to see a full body apparition for it to be exciting. No, you can be sitting in a place for eight hours and have one tiny thing happen the whole night. And it's, it just, it really is the epitome of excitement, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. But I remember walking into Pennhurst Asylum, and this is in outside of Philadelphia. Pennhurst, for people who don't know, was almost like an insane asylum. How this used to work back in the day is if you had somebody who was mildly retarded or had something physically wrong with them, even though they were insane mind, they used to stick them in these places, and they were horrendous to these people. The conditions were... Uh, deplorable they just didn't have enough people to to watch or take care of some of these people to where they would leave other higher functioning you know residents to take care of these kids and you'd have all kinds of rapes molestations all these terrible things happen and we walked into one of these buildings and we walked up to the second floor and we're all sitting there and it's it's world renowned to be haunted you know all these shows have been there tons of people have told stories and we walk up there, and it's dead quiet. And one of the girls that's with me goes, Hello? And keep in mind, this building we're in is supposed to be predominantly a kid's building. So there was only kids' towels there. So she says hello down the hallway. And I swear, not even five seconds later, we hear this little kid's voice go, Hello? And it was like, oh my god. And that is why... I'm so intrigued by this because it was a disembodied voice, what we in the paranormal field call the disembodied voice. It was not an EVP. We actually heard an audible voice. What made that voice? There's, there's no body there. There's not a kid standing in front of us with vocal cords. Where did that come from? Some kind of energy dispersed that voice, and we heard it. And that's why this field is so intriguing to me because there's all these scientific things that happen that you have to look at and it just i don't know man i just it just intrigues me and every time something new comes out or some kind of new uh idea or theory comes out i jump right on it check it out because that's why this uh, that's why i love it so much so you guys annie i think we talked a little bit about lake shawnee amusement park we did yes and you said you've got some cool stories from where you've been there before why don't you share some of those Lake Shawnee Amusement Park is a place in Rock, West Virginia. So it's close to the border of Virginia. And 
steeped in really tragic history. So in the 1700s, the first English settlers there were massacred by uh, a tribe of Shawnee, Native Americans. And so the two of the children who were killed there during that massacre are still buried on the property. The current owner inherited the place from his late father. And what they didn't know until the 1980s was that there was a Native American burial ground there. And it was accidentally unearthed when they started. um, They were actually digging a mud pit. They wanted to turn the place into kind of like a carnival fair type attraction. And so they started digging and dug into a Native American burial pit. The the graves were later covered and restored to, you know, basically the original place that it was. But from there on, the uh, the level of activity increased and the former owner's wife still lives on the property. I started investigating there probably three years ago. And I was there with a local film crew who wanted to do more of an historical documentary out of it. And it had been fine all through the day. And then as it started to get dark, we got this just really creepy, eerie feeling of like you're being watched all around. There are no buildings out there. This is just an open piece of land with a lake and the old metal swings and ferris wheel that still exist there and so we were setting up uh, static cameras to run all around the property throughout the night before we even got started with our investigation and as i was standing there with another one of the documentarians we saw a man walking down the road now there's only one road past Lake Shawnee and it's it's very remote it's two lane um you know you're out in the middle of nowhere and so it's almost dark and he and I see this man walking down the road and the guy's kind of tall and thin he's he had his arms crossed over his chest and he's walking really quickly And my friend looks at me and says, you know, what the heck is this guy doing out here? He's going to get hit by a car. It's cold out here. He didn't look like he was dressed appropriately. It was like a short sleeve shirt and khaki pants. And it was just so out of place. And so as we watch him for probably 10 or 15 seconds, a car comes up behind him. Headlights completely illuminate this man and just fly past him. My friend and I both flinch like, oh my God, this guy's going to get hit on this road out here. He does not belong there. And so we continue to watch as the car goes past him. And the guy takes probably another six or seven steps. And there's this uh, cluster of trees on the side of the road. The guy walks behind these trees and never comes out. And so we're standing there and I look at my friend and I said, what just happened? You know, we're, we're kind of stunned and we immediately think somebody is playing a prank. Somebody knows what we're out here doing. And so we start taking off running across this field like crazy people. And I'm yelling at this man, literally, this is private property and we're calling the cops, you know, like, like I'm going to scare him off the property. And so we get to the fence line. There's a barbed wire fence around the property. And we get to where this guy disappeared. And there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. There's nowhere that he could have gone. There were no buildings. There were no passing cars. This guy literally vanished into thin air. It's the one and only time I have seen a full-bodied apparition. And my friend who was there with me saw the exact same thing. Um, I was out there recently And got to film with the Travel Channel for the most terrifying places. And they actually had me recreate this experience with a guy um, who they brought in. They called him the tall man to kind of be this apparition that I saw. And my call time was 4.30 that morning. And it was cold. And as I got closer Hmm. to the the lake the fog was coming up off of it and i'll tell you what man i was still creeped out to this day lake shawnee after dark there is just something about that place 
that is otherworldly. It's insane. So when did that episode, that, that just aired recently, right? The one on the Travel Channel? I think it just aired October 1st. It played throughout October. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Shadow. Well, the episode was called Shadow something. But they did a really good job of recreating what this guy looked like, just kind of vanishing into thin air. It was so crazy. So, and you said that uh, you're going to try to set something up in the future to maybe go out there and do some, uh, maybe an overnight or something out at uh, Lake Shawnee, right? We did. We actually had one set up in October. And because of me being, well, now eight months pregnant, we had to go. I know. It's hard. It gets hard when, you know, it's it starts getting uncomfortable um but yes we absolutely i've done some public investigations there before and so we plan on going back we want to get back there next year and do another public investigation to let people come out and stay on the property overnight and experience that for themselves if they're brave enough to camp out there then uh we we want to provide that uh that opportunity for people Brendan, out of the investigations that you two have done, has there been anything that scared you? Anything that made you feel really uncomfortable uh, as opposed to, you know, you probably run into a lot of stuff, but it doesn't freak you out. But has there been anything that stands out to you? Well, not necessarily investigating with Annie. We've had a few places we've been when we were filming uh, for another series and we we had a couple weird experiences but i can remember one that i did years ago and i used to do a lot of private residences and you see all these tv shows especially a certain one where everywhere they go there's demons well that ain't the case okay i'll just tell you that right now there's not (laughs) demons every place you go there's not an evil spirit everywhere you go but in one particular case i did run into something that i could not explain and the guy who I used started out investigating with, he was a preacher. And his whole idea was that these are not uh, people who are died. They're just angels and demons. That's it. There's no in-between. It's either an angel or a demon. There's no human spirits. So he came along on this investigation with us. And we were called in by this. We were doing all these uh, public hunts at this place called the Twin City Opera House years ago. And this lady came to one of the events and she's like, listen, I got a house and it's a lot of weird stuff happens. Can you guys come check it out? So a few of us went out there to check it out and just walking into the place, you just, it felt ominous. Something was going on here. And a lot of times when you do these public and, you know, or private residences, you want people to be open and honest with you because you're walking into something you have no idea what you're dealing with. And if they're doing something or manipulating something or conjuring something to be in their their place of you know residence, you don't know what it could be. So I go, I do this whole array of questions. So anyway, we go in there and I, I did this whole thing. No, we didn't do anything. We didn't try to conjure anything. And as we're walking around, we're seeing all these weird things like, you know, almost demonic in nature, things hanging on the wall, certain symbols everywhere. And I don't take a lot of that into, you know, account right away because I'm there to, with a scientific brain, trying to debunk a lot of this, the claims that they have. So me and another investigator, we start out the investigation and we walk up to this bedroom where this woman said her son was like, he over time was starting to change, almost like he was becoming like possessed in a way. And they would say like he had an obsession with knives and he would take knives and stab his pillow and stab his mattress and they bought him three or four mattresses over time. And it's like, well, does he have behavioral problems? Have you guys looked into that? Blah, blah, blah. But we go into this kid's room and the whole feel of the room is just crazy. And one of the main important things to do is you got to get the mindset that you're here. Just it's got to have tunnel vision. Don't let any the atmosphere affect you. Just see what the environment does. So we go in this room, and all of a sudden, our instruments just start malfunctioning. Cameras are turning off. These EMF meters are doing something weird we never saw before, not necessarily signaling, but just doing weird things, having all these battery drains and all this different stuff. And all of a sudden, it just gets super, super cold in this room. It's like, man, this is weird. So we go there. Nothing really happens other than that. So we're just like, okay. So I did a lot of the evidence review, and... I go back and I'm listening to that particular EVP session. We're in there for probably almost two hours. 
And the first maybe 40 minutes, nothing. And then it just started getting really weird. All these weird gurgling noises started appearing on the audio. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. Is I asked a question. I said, who are you and why is this room so important to you? And I'm not even joking when I say this voice came over just clear as day. And it sounded really like, I don't know, almost like from the bellow of like a yell. It said, they are mine. And like, I just, as soon as I heard that, I was like, Oh, I pulled the headphones off. I threw it down. I was like, I had to walk away from it. Like it scared the crap out of me. So we started getting other weird things like that other vo- the same voice, but almost in like an antagonizing response. And as I said, the guy, uh, who I started out with, Ed Conkler, God rest his soul. He's a, he was a good guy. He passed away a couple of years ago. He was a preacher, and he started going through the house and doing a blessing. And as he's doing the blessing, we're getting all like similar EVPs, like guttural like yells and screams, and it was, oh, man, it was weird. But we he, he did a cleansing of the house, and they still had problems, and it got to the point where we just couldn't help him anymore. Like, there was no... There was no cease of whatever they were doing before we came there. Somebody was conjuring something or doing something that they didn't understand, and they kept doing it after we left, and we just couldn't help them anymore. But, I mean, that that feeling, I can't even describe the feeling of the place. Like, it was just so strange. I never felt anything like that before and or after that. Crazy. What man. about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in a situation to where... You're there, you're going over this, and you're hearing all these growls and stuff like that that you didn't hear with the naked ear. No, it was uh, something else. And we actually had a guy who, he was a a demonologist, and everybody says they're a demonologist, but he actually was certified, (laughs) like, he did all the stuff that it takes. And he even said the same thing. He's like, the play, he just walked in right away and was like, this is weird. Like, just the vibe of this house is weird. The second you walked in, you felt it. You could cut through it with a knife. That's how thick it was. Man, what about you, uh, Annie? Have you had any experiences that kind of freaked you out? You know, I think kind of along the same lines of what Brendan was talking about. I hate to say it, but uh, yeah, okay, as as paranormal investigators, we've all been in those situations in these dark buildings when you've been freaked out by something that you can't see or something that you hear. But I think what freaked me out the most as I got started as a paranormal investigator were not the dead people that we worked with, but some of the living. And I've talked about this on our live show before, you know, as paranormal investigators early on, you're eager to get out and just kind of take any case that's thrown at you. You know, when we started our first team here in West Virginia, we got phone calls and messages from all over the place. Please come help me. You know, my house is haunted. This, that, and the other is going on. And what we found out a lot of times, not every time, was that, just like Brendan said, there was somebody there with some type of malintent. And so we realized on a couple of of cases that we did, um, just a friend and I, that we kind of put ourselves in dangerous positions because there were a couple of cases specifically When we later found out that we were dealing with people who uh, had mental illness. And so even though we question these folks before you go out there and you ask them, they're not always honest with you. I think it was easier for them to believe that it was paranormal than to step back and realize that it was something either within themselves or within a family member who was living on the property. And the crazy thing is, we actually got evidence from these places. And so I kind of developed this theory that these people in whatever state of mind that they are in, are actually putting out some type of energy that manifests in a different form and fashion. And it's not the dead manifesting, it's the living and it's something that is coming through them. And so that was frightening to me to realize, number one, we we were naive and we put ourselves in positions that we shouldn't have been in. And so I always warn young investigators against that. But number two, that the living human mind 
can manifest energy in such a way that you can actually capture it in different forms. To me, that was fascinating and frightening all at the same time. So I had a listener write me a couple nights ago, and they said that they were getting ready to go on a tour of a haunted place. And they asked me, which I'm definitely not an expert, what they could do to make sure that they didn't develop an attachment while they're there or bring something home. As paranormal investigators, how do you guys uh, treat that situation? I I don't know your religious background. I don't know if you have a religious background. Uh, I don't know what your philosophy is on that. But do you guys have something that you do to try to alleviate any type of attachment when you visit these places? I've always told people uh, that whatever higher power you have, you know what I mean, you can find strength in that, maybe say a prayer to guard yourself. Uh, I've been on a lot of investigations with people who are religious who want to say a prayer, and they have everybody on the team gather around and say a prayer. But I've always had just the, the, the idea that if you go in there just with tunnel vision, as I said before, you're focused on one idea, and the idea is like, you know, you're going to take a tour, you want to go listen to the history, you want to listen to the, the scary tales and the, the, the experiences that people who are running these tours or have been in this place have had. And I think if you focus on that and don't really focus on the aspect of, oh, something's here, something's going to attach itself to me, Annie just hit the nail on the head when she said it, like, people can develop these things themselves, manifest things because of what they're putting out into the environment. So I honestly think if you go in just with an open mind, just tunnel vision, you know, don't sit there and freak yourself out that, you know, you're going to be scared or something's going to attach itself to you. You know, I think you'll be completely fine. And that's, that's the, the advice I give to everybody because that's just what I've done. And that's what I've had the most luck with. I don't know about Annie. I've investigated with a lot of people who wanted to have those experiences, whether they were positive or negative. And you find yourself in these situations that these are not the best people to investigate with. And I'm not talking about going in and, you know, shouting at ghosts and just being profane. Just really going in, like Brendan said, with the mindset of this is what's going to happen to me. Something is here and I'm going to have this negative experience. And the energy that they put out actually caused them to have some type of You can call it an attachment, a reaction, some type of negative experience from that. And so, you know, I grew up in a very religious uh, home, you know, southern West Virginia, very Baptist. And I've done, you know, sagings and meditations before we leave areas. But I think the best way to really separate yourself from it is just to stand your ground mentally and say, this is not going to affect me. Whatever your purpose is behind being there is what you're going to take from it. If you go in just to gather evidence and have that experience, and then once you leave that building, you can separate yourself from it. I've, I've always done that. I've never personally had an attachment to anything. But if you go in in the mindset of, oh my God, this is going to happen to me or I want this to happen to me. It can happen, but that is your energy feeding into the experience that you're having there. So I always ask paranormal investigators this last question before I let them go. So I'll get an answer from both of you on this one. If money is not an object and you can investigate any place in the world what would that be for the both of you? Oh, Shay, do you want to go first? Because mine, mine has always been the same for years. Now, I can give you 50 million places, and not just because of a paranormal event, but like I said, a mysterious event. Number one, I said this to Annie the other day because one of my favorite shows of all time is The Curse of Oak Island, okay? If the, if the, <laughs> if the Laginas came to me and said, Brendan, we can't pay you, but we need your help. But we need you to help us dig. You know, we'll, we'll feed you. We'll, we'll let you sleep in one of the bunks, but we can't pay you. Will you come help us for a whole summer? I would drop everything right now and be like, let's go do it. Let's go find that treasure. That's just because the whole mystery behind it. Like, I, w- I would do that in a second. 
I've always been fascinated with castles, as most people in the United States are, want to go to Europe and visit some of these castles that are thousands of years old and investigate, find the ghosts of these old castles, what lies, what secrets lie buried in the stone. Thirdly, I want to visit every plantation that's left in the South and investigate every single one of them. So... He would totally leave me and our unborn child if they called him to go live on Oak Island. We literally That's had this conversation. Or, or if Josh Gates needed a partner. Or if Josh Gates, yeah. You know what? I wouldn't doubt. I wouldn't, like, if you if Josh Gates called you right now and said, come invest, I would be like, honey, you have to go. But no, uh, my number one has always been uh, Pavelia Island in Italy, where they took all the bodies after the Black Plague and they burned these just thousands upon thousands in these mass graves just such a terrifying thought of what happened there um plus it's italy you know you've got the history behind it and so i would i would be on a plane to pavelia in a heartbeat well that's one of the main things too that you have to remember and i just want to throw this in here just as a little extra plug is that one of the things that we've learned paranormal investigating and going to all these places like, you know, some places we've named today, the history is the most important part about it. And we are both, uh, consider ourselves preservationists when it comes to history. We really value the history in a lot of these places. So when you're going to these places and you're investigating and you get to go to a lot of cool places being a paranormal investigator, you got to remember the history, remember the people who walked before you, because they are the reason why some of these places still exist. So, just wanted to yeah, I'm a hundred percent behind you on the history. I, we say all the time that our show is seventy five percent history and twenty five percent paranormal, and that's how it should be. If you cannot remember the history, then you can't treat a, a place and whatever is still there appropriately and with the respect that it deserves. Well, Annie, Brendan, it's been awesome having you on the show. Tell everybody how they can find your podcast and how they can find you on YouTube. Or Facebook. Yeah, we are the Serial Spirits Podcast. We are on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Paranormal Warehouse. Uh, we release an episode weekly. We usually do a full episode one week, and then the next week we do what we call a serial snippet, which is almost like a shorter episode. Sometimes it's a little news story, a little short little paranormal story crime story or we have an interview that we do uh like i said we're on soundcloud itunes paranormal warehouse you can find us on twitter at serial spirits and on facebook at serial spirits uh you can find me and annie both on twitter i'm at brenny shea and annie's uh at annie weebs annie weebs so yeah check us out all right, guys, looking forward to doing a lot more with you in the future, especially looking forward to the uh, show we'll be doing in September yes. at the Mothman Festival. Absolutely. So. We're so pumped for that. It's our one and only booking so far for next year. So <laughs> you know how much we love you guys when we book a year in advance. That's very true, and we appreciate that. So, all right, looking forward to seeing you then, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Jerry. Bye. They are so much fun to talk to. We had such a blast hanging out with them at the Mothman Festival. Yeah, we sure did. And Annie is about to give birth, like, in a month. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. She's cute as can be, Pregos. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we appreciate it, as usual. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. And I hope you guys are liking these Wednesday episodes. I'm really having fun with them. Yeah, I hope you all enjoy it. We enjoy doing them for you. All right, we'll talk to you on Sunday. Bye, guys. <laughs>